When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I got Alan Hoskins back here with me. We're going to talk about what's happening in the world of ag finance. So, Alan, how you doing, bud? Doing well. Thanks for having me back, Casey. I appreciate it. Yeah, I always like having you on because we get a good chance to talk. So, Alan is uh, the, and I, I get this messed up every time, Alan, but you're the national... Your president national sales director. Didn't think it'd be that hard for me to remember that. That's because it's not <laughs> that complicated. But for whatever reason, I can't get the stick in my head. But and at, at American Farm Mortgage and uh Alan's nice enough to come on talk about what's happening. And you know, it's it's a rare time, Alan. So when you take a look at what's happening out there right now, you've got interest rates where they're at. You know, the Fed's talking about bumping up another um another quarter point-ish or so. No one really knows how much, but take a look at that one more time and you take a look at you know, the bank fillers we talked about last time when you're on here, still some banks out there that are struggling right now, but that's, you know, that's, you, you see that kind of stuff and these cycles happen. Um, I guess, Alan, as you're taking a look at the, uh, the world of, of agriculture from a, from a dollars and cents perspective, give me your two cents on, on what you think the overall health of the, of the industry is and, and of the, of the average American farmer. Well, Casey, as we've gone through the renewal cycle this year, which is obviously winding down, 
I think some things that have stood out to me are that the working capital that farmers have been able to build has continued to be pretty solid. We saw some guys coming out at 22 with some pretty good revenue numbers. They've done, for the most part, Casey, a good job, I think, in preparing themselves for some of the challenges that we could face down the road. I will say that as a whole, producers have done a good job in building their business acumen over the last few years. And I think they have been diligent in preparing for the times that might not be so good. We all know that there are challenges that are coming, I think, if you look particularly just simply at interest rates. I think that's pretty pretty indicative measure of that. So working capital has been pretty good coming out of it. Margins, we continue now. Recently, we've seen some changes a little bit on the commodity side, but we also have seen fertilizer prices back off some. That has been helpful as well. And for the most part, the projected cash flows for 2023 look pretty good. Now, that's dependent, obviously, upon how well folks do from a production standpoint, but more importantly, I would argue, from a marketing standpoint. Unfortunately, Casey, one of the negatives I believe we've seen over the past couple of years is folks that didn't do a particularly good job of risk management from a marketing perspective, unfortunately got rewarded for complacency. The market kind of helped them out doing something candidly that I don't think is a good business practice, and that's not being proactive in managing risk. Right. So obviously we don't know where the markets are going to be this fall, but again, one of the positives I've seen, most producers have sharpened their pencil a little bit from a marketing perspective and more importantly realized that it makes a lot of sense to have some assistance in that area. Because it many times, in fact, I will say most all times, that's the difference between profitability and loss is I get a job they do marketing. Now, we've been a beneficiary in different parts of the country the past few years. There have been some exceptions, but for the most part, there's been good production. So the marketing side is really where the revenue opportunities are maximized. So there's some positives going into this year. Another thing that I will say is producers have really reaped some benefit of establishing the long-term fixed rate loans that they did over the past four or five years. You know, I did an analysis for a customer that I work with personally that if we had redone or if we had been doing the loans for them today that we did over the past three years, their payment would have been considerably, considerably higher because their interest rate would have been almost double what it was when we did it. So they did a really good job of locking in that long-term fixed rate. I heard a lot of people talk about that, you know, and that's, that's a, that's a, it's a valid argument too. When you're sitting talking with somebody and they're like, you want me to change my, my two and a half percent or my 3%, you know, note over here for this seven and a half percent or six or whatever, whatever percentage rate you're going through. 
that's a that's a tough conversation to have with somebody when you're starting to talk about that. Not only are you increasing their uh, interest rate, but you're also increasing the debt load that they have too. On top of that, because of just the sheer volume of of, of how much things have increased through through the COVID cycle, you know, we're a lot of these. You take a look at a lot of stuff out there, and there's you, especially on the equipment side, where you could have twenty five to thirty percent increase over the last three years on on some of the stuff, and even higher on some of the things. You know, so I guess when you're having that conversation with them, Alan, how, how do you go about having that conversation of when is the right time for me to to jump off that super cheap interest rate to this more capital intense uh, interest rate over here? Well, one of the things, Casey, we do is try to make sure that we find every option possible to make sure that that cheap interest rate doesn't go away. And there, for example, second mortgages are a pretty good tool to utilize in the event a person does need to take some debt, current debt, out over a longer term. And if they've got the first mortgage out there, assuming their loan to value is fairly low, Use, utilizing that second mortgage in many cases is going to be a better solution than refinancing the first. And Casey, one of the things that I, I try to make sure that I do in talking with customers is a banker at times, I want to always make sure I'm mindful of pointing out the things that they're doing well, because I think we all need that positive affirmation candidly. Sure. and pointing back to those things that they did because it wasn't what I as a banker did. It was what they did pointing out those things that they did, for example, in taking advantage of that long-term low interest rate at the time and showing them how the positive management decisions they've made are contributing to the success that they're seeing now. I think that's incredibly important as well. And going back to the marketing, recognizing to them or recognizing pardon me the progress that they've made in marketing so that when we do have discussions about some additional changes that might make sense for them i.e what you're talking about with the higher interest rates they understand that the discussion is coming from a perspective of what's best for them not what's best for the banking institution and i think that's an incredible incredibly important part of the conversation that I get the opportunity to have with folks. Casey, there are times, candidly, where taking out that lower interest rate is somewhat of a necessity because of minimizing the overall debt service. But again, that's that's typically something that we look at as a very last option. So last time... Last time that we talked, you were on your way to Washington, D.C. to do some, I think, to do some, you know, talk about the farm bill and go through a few things and do some, talk to some um, uh, leaders up there in Washington about what's going on. What what was your takeaway from all that? And, and what do you think, how do you think this new farm bill is going to play out? Well, first and foremost, it was a great trip to D.C. from the standpoint of sitting down with various representatives and senators it was very interesting to me when we were engaging in the conversation about the topic that they that we were there to discuss which was guaranteed lending 
you really couldn't tell if you were sitting down and talking to a Republican or a Democrat if you didn't know which side of the aisle they were from. They were very interested in understanding the economics of how the guaranteed loan program affects the U.S. taxpayer. And we were prepared from the standpoint of being able to discuss that. And what we found with the group that I was with, it was a small group. There were five of us. We found a lot of receptivity to the issues that we were there to discuss. And we also found folks that were somewhat knowledgeable about those programs as well. And we had instances where we could cite how constituents in their particular districts were affected. So I was very heartened from the standpoint, Casey, of hearing the feedback that we received from those particular legislators about how they felt that the programs were meeting the goals that I think were set out in order to be able to serve people and judiciously utilize the taxpayer's money. So that was a very, very good experience. It was the exact opposite, candidly, of what you see on the news, typically of an evening, regardless of what channel you're watching. So it was very nice to see that. It was also very interesting to me to see the the knowledgeable staffers that these folks have as well. You know, most of these folks appeared, I have no idea how old they truly are, but most of them appeared to be early 30s and 20s. And again, a very bright group of young folks that were knowledgeable. They asked great questions, as did the candidly the legislators. They both did a great job asking questions. And I felt like it was something that we should reasonably expect all things being equal, that there should be some good support for the guaranteed lending programs within the upcoming farm bill. Right on. As you look out here, Alan, so there's, it seems like if you watch the news, the world's definitely coming to an end and sounds like it's going to end on Friday by most places that you, that you listen to <laughs> on the news. But I guess as you're out, as you're, as you're looking, you know, out to the future in 23, I mean, there's, a lot of moving parts out there. We start looking at, you know, there's a drought situation that's developing. Um, you know, I, Sean Hackett was on here, and I'm getting ready to post this this podcast out here. But this was the third driest April since 1979, and you know, May is shaping up to be worse than, than April was. And if you don't take, you have to go back too far in, in the uh, in the memory to to remember what 2012 looked like as you started going through that scenario. Um, if this continues down that same path, what's that look like and how's this whole thing play out? Um, you know, I, I, the, from a lender's perspective, as you're looking at, um, crop insurance and those kind of things and how that plays into the marketing plan and, and, you know, the backstops that you have for profitability and those kind of things, what, how does, how's that conversation work with you? And then, and then how are when you're having that conversation with your customers and then how are you? adjusting that plan as as things kind of spiral here great question casey that's the exact type thing that we do try to understand with the individual producer what does their crop insurance guarantee look like again producers for the most part have done a good job i think in understanding the value of that program particularly with the subsidy that is still there and hopefully with the upcoming farm bill that we're looking at this year 
hopefully we're going to continue to see that subsidy in place because without it, crop insurance is vastly different from a cost perspective to these guys. Absolutely. One of the things that in the discussions that we have, again, going back to complimenting them about the marketing plan, understanding how they're making sure that that plan is dynamic, not static from the standpoint of it's not something you put in the book once it's done in March and then you forget about it the rest of the year because of exactly what you talked about. We don't know what opportunities may come about in the event that a drought situation would develop and worsen. We certainly don't know exactly what that's going to look like from a marketing perspective, but making sure that as part of the development of a marketing plan, no differently than a bank works to minimize the effect to the bank, whether interest rates go up or down. A marketing, a good marketing plan for a producer covers both increased commodity prices and lower commodity prices. So it's not a matter of developing that marketing plan in March when those crop insurance rates are set and then, okay, we're good for the rest of the year. But how do we utilize this marketing plan to be able to take advantage of opportunities should upside present potential present itself, but minimize, but also minimize the downside risk should we see those prices fall? So that's a big part of the conversation. And <clears throat> excuse me. And understanding, Casey, how does that producer view that marketing plan? You know, do they do do they view it truly as somewhat of an insurance policy against down prices, or do they view it as a profit opportunity plan? If we do see some increased commodity prices, and granted, it becomes complex because we certainly don't know what the actual production is going to look like, sure. but we do understand that there is a revenue guarantee that comes about as part of that. And how does that revenue guarantee make sure that they're still farming next year and able to meet all or at least as many of those obligations as they have as possible? So that's always a great discussion. Yep. All right. So now in your area, plant season's going on right now. So you got all, I mean, everyone's flying around with their uh, going crazy right now, getting everything in the ground. And the weather has been very cooperative. You know, it's not been too wet or anything like that. So very easy playing season right now, I guess, from your perspective. Alan, as you look out there, what's your thoughts about um, what you've seen so far for playing season and and what is your, I guess, perspective moving forward? Well, in our particular area, Casey, we've been fortunate from the standpoint of we've had a few showers that have come through. So folks have been able to get some things in the ground, get some moisture. One of the bigger challenges, and candidly, a producer that I talked to didn't run a planter last week simply because of the cold temperatures we had and the forecast of rain. But we have seen good progress in our area. I will also say this. I drove up to Wisconsin to be a part of a panel up there a couple of weeks ago. And going through central Illinois, there were a couple of things that really stuck out to me. And this would have been April the 13th, the day I was driving up. Casey, basically from about I-70 up to somewhere around Rockford, Illinois, maybe a little bit north of there, 
if you had asked me what time of year it was up there, I would have told you it was June, simply because it was extremely dry. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we saw what happened uh, as we taped this show. We saw what happened yesterday on I-55 south of Champaign with the major traffic because of the dust-related issue. Two weeks ago, I saw a lot of dust in that area at, at that time as well, particularly north of there. The, the other thing, Casey, that I guess I've kind of noticed, and this ties back to planning, it was amazing to me how few planners I saw that were not 24-row planners. Bigger or smaller? Uh, basically, you saw, I think I saw maybe two 12-row planners in the field, yeah. maybe three or four 16 rows. The rest, and when I say the rest, that probably means 25 or more, we're all 24-row planners. What that tells me, Casey, is I think we have the ability to put a lot of crop in the ground in a hurry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that's a funny, I love watching that meter. You know, everyone makes a big deal about it, and then, you know, a weekend goes by and, you know, four days of good planning comes by and all of a sudden it goes from 25 to 62%. And, and like, so, yeah, we can, they can plant some ground. They can plant some ground pretty quick. So I, I think that allows us when planning conditions do get where it makes sense to do it. We can certainly get that crop in the ground uh, locally Within the past few days, I've seen a few fields of corn that have spiked through uh, on a couple of them that I've seen emergence look very even. So I've talked to more producers, however, and this is obviously vastly different to what we were seeing 20 years ago. I've talked to multiple producers within the last week that are half done or more on soybeans that hadn't even started corn. And that's a drastic change over what we've growing up. You know, certainly we, we never planted beans before corn, but a lot of things have changed since I grew up too. So I, I will say that there's, we're, we're seeing guys, I think understand where soybeans have really been a good profit contributor, contributor, pardon me, over the past couple of years. And again, it goes back to my comment about improving their business acumen and looking at how does it make sense. And I think from a conservation perspective, getting those beans in, getting them off early, if they've got dirt projects, things like that to minimize erosion, that's also a great management tool that's allowed them to do some of those items as well. Yep. Yep. All right. Last question here, Alan, as you're looking at, um, the, the geopolitical situations that we have around the world, you talk about what's going on um, in, in uh, the Black Sea. They're going to go back to and sit down and reopen that conversation again about the Black Sea corridor. And who knows what's going to happen there? Um, as you look at, you know, what's going on with with China and, and, and the amount of stuff that they're as they're coming out of COVID and the stuff that they're buying and they just can't get enough stuff and they're buying stuff as much as they can. And you look at African swine fever and all those different things that come on. It's like there's like a million things that are going on that are all negative. <laughs> a lot of positive, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of positive things for agriculture in 23. And as you look into 24, it kind of feels like it's that that's there's some carryover there that you can see going in 24. I guess, Alan, you're out as your outlook here the next, you know, 18, 24 months and your little crystal ball that you got there. What's your, what's your overall? feel for, for what you see happening in agriculture right now? 
Well, I, I think Casey overall, and, and I'll say this, I, I heard a meteorologist say one day that they could reasonably predict weather very accurately, no more than about seven to 10 days out. So I want to preface what I'm going to say by <laughs> saying that's about how far out, Casey, my economic predictions are valid, seven to 10 right. days. Seven to 10 days, all right. Yes. So what I would say is this. We're in a position right now where there are good opportunities, I believe, still from a profit perspective, assuming that the production is going to be there. So we've, again, seen the benefit of decreased fertilizer prices. There's still some good commodity prices available. So as we sit here today, 23 has the potential to be another reasonably good year. Now. Again, 10 days from now, that could be completely different. But as we sit here today, it has that. Going into 24, I agree with everything you said, that there are some things that do have some appearance of positivity for agriculture. But the thing I also believe I understand about agriculture is profitability is determined by margin. And we can understand very easily today by picking up our phones and seeing what opportunities are present for 24 commodities. What we can't necessarily do as adeptly is understand what the bottom side of the income statement is going to look like in 2024. We don't know where those inputs are going to be. We don't know where where those seed prices are going to be. But if you look at it solely from a commodity price perspective, it again looks like 24, at least right now, there's some reasonable opportunities that are there. There's a lot of things that could change that. And I would, Casey, the one thing that I would really encourage producers is, and this is a good reminder for all of us, From a practical perspective, you know, Casey, there really isn't a difference between a person that can't read and a person that doesn't read. Yeah, good point. And the thing that I would urge producers in is to make sure that they're doing a lot of investigative study on their own part in the form of reading. There's so much wonderful information out there today that maybe you don't take everything at face value. In fact, you shouldn't take everything at face value. I'll go that far. But I think there's a lot of information out there. Look at the sources that you know. This podcast is a good example. You know, you mentioned Sean Hackett. You know, I think Sean, I enjoy listening to Sean. I think he does a wonderful job, and I'm really glad that you have him as a guest. Me too. I think, Casey, that folks need to make sure they're taking the responsibility to do their research and take advantage of the opportunities. Again, this podcast is a good example, talking to the folks that they know and trust and trying to make sure that they are continuing to be lifelong learners. We, I think we've actually seen that trend accelerate over the past four or five years. But I think it's a trend that's going to become even more important in the future. Yep. So I guess that's 
probably not the exact answer you were looking for, but that's kind of where I would think producers might want to be somewhat mindful. Well, the good thing about this uh, show, Alan, is I don't really don't know what I'm looking for. So whatever happens. <laughs> well, it works out really well. It does. Uh, this seems, seems to come together nice here at the end. So, Alan, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at American Farm Mortgage, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Uh, my email address is ahoskins at AmericanFarmMortgage.com. They can certainly reach out by phone. I love phone conversations. That number is 800-876-2362. And welcome conversations just to hear from folks. Well, thanks again, Alan. And it's always uh, it's always awesome to talk to you, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate the opportunity, Casey. Thank you. Very much. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the YouTube version of this over on the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. And you can see what Alan looks like and all of his great John Deere memorabilia behind him. So you can check all that out and see all that fun stuff there. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Uh, be one of the first 150 people to sign up for that, and you will get a uh, $50 discount from the folks over at Axon Tire. So if you're interested in that, take advantage of that, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys all in Nashville. So uh, you need more information, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I will get that information over to you ASAP. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Alan Hoskins. Let's go move folks. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work. 